0: Today, we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus and Peter on, walking on some water. Uh, one of my favorite miracles. So, if you want to, you can turn in Matthew chapter 14. We'll be talking specifically about verses 28 through 33. Let's read. Let's read this Matthew 14, verses 28 through 33. And Peter answered him, Lord, If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this um, story, Lord, from your life that you lived in the midst of your disciples. We thank you for your love for them and all that's been recorded of how you trained them and how you taught them uh, about yourself and about the Trinity. We thank you, Father, for opening your word to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that you meet us here and that you help us to understand these things, help us to see with eyes of faith, we pray, Father, that you, you, in as we're listening to this, that you do, in fact, grow our faith and help us to see you in our everyday life in a different way. Help us to believe in you in a more um, real and stronger way. Pray, Lord, that you give us a passion for you um, that overcomes the circumstances, Father. Teach us that even in the midst of a storm, to want to be where you are and do what you're doing as Peter is. We thank you for this, and we pray, Lord, that you give us understanding, and you bless us as we, we hear your word. Amen. So I, I like this story. This is, there's a couple of fun trivia questions I always like to ask about the Bible. One of them is, who are the two people to ever walk on water? Well, clearly, as we've heard, right, Jesus is the first man to walk on water. And Peter's the second. Uh, it, and most people actually don't know that because this is the only account of it in which Peter actually, this part's uh, written down. Usually it's just Jesus walking on the water, and Mark and, and John, those are the other two gospels that cover it. They just talk about the fact that Jesus was walking on the water, and and I've always found this um, miracle to be fascinating, obviously for many reasons. But f- first off, why? Why would he? Right? Why does he walk on the water? Why doesn't he just get in a boat? Uh, and why is he passing them by? It's weird. He's not going to them. He's going by them, which is very fascinating. And what what does this have to do with us? Um, I've actually been in a, in a situation like what these guys are going through. I was out on the open ocean, and we were rowing for our lives to get back to shore uh, in the middle of the night against the, the waves, uh, rowing and rowing and rowing. we get so tired rowing that uh, we would stop rowing, and then we'd, we'd actually go back further than, than where we had started. It was terrible. And, uh, but for a friend who, who saw us and came and rescued us, uh, I would be somewhere out in the North Pacific at this point still. So uh, what's fascinating is, I, I, I mean, I've even had an experience like this, and what I don't remember is seeing Jesus there, right? I mean, how, how many of us are really going to be out in, in a difficult situation like this, and Jesus going to come just walking up to us on the boat? It's a strange story, but I think there really is a lot here to help us. Um, I, I really, I, I love these stories like this because it's, it's a microcosm of the Christian life. This is the Christian life right here. This, not even the whole thing, there's a ton to be said about all that's going on as these disciples get in the boat and start rowing, rowing away. But just right here in this little exchange between Peter and Jesus is a perfect little picture of the Christian life. And I hope, um, I've been edified and have learned a great deal about myself and the Lord um, studying this, and so I hope, I hope that's my prayer for all of us today. So we look at miracles like this that seem so strange, and we see really this is, this is how we live all our life every day. So to, to get some context, um, we're going to just back up for a moment and look at the 30,000-foot the level. Um, Matthew records, uh, as I said, this portion of the story that's very, that's very specific. He, he records Peter, Peter and Jesus talking to one another and walking on the water together. Um, but why? Why does Jesus send them off in a boat? Well, if you, if you go through the Gospels together, what you find out in John six fourteen and 15 is that Jesus had fed the 5,000, and his disciples are considering taking him by force and making him king. So that had just happened. And so in Matthew, when he says immediately he sends them out, there's a reason he's sending them away. Because they want to make – they're like, wow, this guy has power. This is the guy we've been waiting for. Let's, let's not waste any more time. Let's make him king. And it's funny because Jesus, you know, his way of dealing with it is giving them an impossible task. No, how about you guys get in this boat and row across to the other side? Um, so he sends them away because he, he doesn't want to be king, right? It's his time hasn't yet come. They don't yet understand who he is and what he's doing, and they still have things they need to learn. And, and we learn other things. He sends them out in the evening time and then goes to them in the fourth watch. Well, the fourth watch is between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. So you can imagine these guys have been out there rowing for a long time. And they're rowing, we know, because if the wind is against them, they can't use a sail. Right, sail. The wind has to either come somewhere from behind you if you're going to use, use the sail. So if the wind's coming directly at you, you've got to row. And they go three or four miles. I love the details in the story. It tells us so much. If you're standing in Madison Park in Seattle and you look across the other side towards Bellevue, that's, that's a little over four miles. So these guys are not going very far, and they've been at it all night. And what's Jesus doing, Right? They, they don't understand his plans. They don't understand who he is. They don't understand what he's about. But, so he sends them away so he can be with his father. Because this is a turning point in Jesus' ministry, and a, this is the big story here. And so he's communing with the father about what, what they're going to do next. Because people are beginning to want him to be king. But yet he, he's not ready yet, yet to fulfill everything that he's, he's come to do. So he stays, he's praying to God. His disciples are out on the water, struggling and struggling and struggling against the wind all night long, and he lets them struggle. He knows what's going on, but he doesn't stop it. In fact, by the time he's done praying, he waits till he's done, he gets up, he sees what is going on, he still doesn't stop it. He doesn't stop it. He just lets them struggle. And then this is what's so fascinating, is he walks out to them. But he's not walking to them, he's walking past them. And this is a clear echo of of two other stories in the Bible. The, The one that's really important is Exodus 33, right? Moses wants to see the glory of the Lord. And so Moses is set in a rock and God goes before him, right? He walks past him and lets Moses behold his glory. Well, Jesus is doing the same thing. That's what he's doing here. They're, in the, they're out there on the water, struggling and struggling and struggling. They're, very, they're struggling in their minds with who this Jesus is and what, what is exactly is it that he's come to do. And, and he now is ready. This is why it's a turning point. He's ready to show them in a, in a deeper way who he really is. right? He's not Moses who needs God to part the sea. He is God. And so he walks across the top of the sea. And his glory goes before them. right? What happens? They're terrified. In most stories in the Old Testament... When man sees God, sees his glory, sees his godness, almost always they're terrified. And that's what happens here. They think it's something un- unworldly. They think it's ghosts. <laughs> There's a ghost on the water. But it's not. It's Jesus. right? The voice that comes to them from amidst the storm, from over the sea, from this weird, mysterious figure walking there, is a voice they know well. Because the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They instantly recognize who it is. And... And they're awestruck by this. It's a weird story. I, I think that um, it's, very, um, it's very telling that Jesus is going in this direction. This whole thing tells us a lot about how he trains us. He puts us in impossible situations. He puts us in difficult circumstances. And he, and he comes out and meets us there and shows us who he is. That's what we all experience all the time. Right? Right? How many of you guys have been in an impossible situation and you know that the Lord sent you there and you're out there struggling and you begin to wonder why and then he's there with you? We've all experienced that. But on top of all of that, they all realize who it is that's walking on the water. And Peter, for a moment, is overcome. He's overcome. There's no explanation as to why he suddenly wants to go out there except the only reason I can think of it is he just he's awestruck. He just it's Jesus. I can't it's God. I want to be where you are and I want to do what you're doing. Okay, now why he wants to do that isn't explained. But that's what he wants. And so he says, "If that is you, command me to come to you." He wants to be where the Lord is and he wants to do what the Lord is doing. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Right? This exchange teaches us three things. Peter seeks a command from the Lord before he does anything. He's overcome and and, and doesn't care about the wind, doesn't care about the water, doesn't care about But still, he doesn't get out of the boat unless God commands him to get out of the boat. That's very, very important. Second, God commands Peter to do something that requires a miracle, right? He doesn't say, walk on the water. He says, come to me. And in order to come to him, right, he's got to walk across the top of the water. And the commands that God gives us often come with that. He commands us to do something that seems, for all intents and purposes to our eyes, to be impossible. And the last thing we're going to learn is that Peter does, in fact, shockingly enough, do the impossible while he focuses on Jesus. As he keeps his eyes and his mind and his attention on Jesus, he literally he does walk across the top of the water. And as long as he's doing that, he can do the impossible. We're going to see what happens when he takes his eyes off Jesus. So this is what we're going to do today. We're going to look at these three things. Seeking a command from the Lord, how the, that his commands are, uh, require us to do things that are otherwise impossible for us, and the fact that we can do them as long as we keep our focus on him. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So first, let's look at how Peter seeks the will of the Lord. Okay? He wants to go where Jesus is. He wants to be there with Jesus on the water and it 's true humility to recognize your limitations it 's true obedience to submit yourself entirely to the lord 's command. Okay? I think the language here is really important he doesn't decide to go out on the water and then oh hey God, could you help could you bless me because i 'm going to come out there to you he doesn 't do that he doesn't ask for advice right Jesus is not the uh, relationship guru out there or the physics guru hey um could you work out some kind of way for me to come here? What do you think? You think that's a good idea? I think that's appropriate right now. I don't, no, he he wants to go out there, but he stops and he wants a command. It tells us a lot about his relationship to the Lord, because in my life, what I often feel like I'm doing is asking for advice. Right? I'm asking God, well, you know, what do you think? What are some options? Can you give me some options and then I'll decide between what's best? How many of you guys pray that? I just in the midst of writing this, I was praying something like that. Where I was like, well, here's A, and here's B. and you know, Rarely do I get on my knees and say, God, command me. Here's what I want. And if that's what you want, command me to do it. Now, there's something about the commands of the Lord that are different than just advice or an invitation. Because when he commands you to do something, he gives you what you need in order to obey. Nothing can... His word goes out and his word has power. When he says, come, right? Peter doesn't say, okay, whoa, whoa, awesome, I'm coming. How? Should I get these floaties? Like, blow up some floaties and, like, my kids have them. Right? He doesn't get a paddle board. He doesn't look for a piece of driftwood. He just hops out of the boat and walks over there because he understands about God's commands. When God says to do something, regardless of what it looks like, what it seems like to us in our own reason, he gives you what you need in order to do it. He says, come. And Peter knows that because he's commanded to do it, he can do it, right? That, that is very, very helpful. It's a very different relationship. It's a very different kind of praying even than what I'm typically used to, right? Jesus is my buddy, right? He's the one who knows more than I do, and so I ask him for advice. I don't ask him for commands, but Peter does. Now the application for us is, I mean, manifold here. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but how often do you see God working? You see God's presence, and you want to just you want to do what He's doing. I think many of us think, okay, if Jesus is doing it, we should do it too, and you don't really think about anything else. Just because Jesus is walking on the water, just because He wants to be where Jesus is, doesn't make it okay for Peter just to go out there. We we get into this problem all the time with this. Um, deciding what ministries to do. Uh, I remember this distinctly back at Mars Hill. We wanted to do some some interesting, meaningful ministry. And so all we did was look in the Bible for what Jesus did. Okay, well, Jesus hung out uh, with drunks and prostitutes and people of nefarious backgrounds. And, and I remember I didn't really want to do that because I'd spent enough time hanging around drunks before I was a Christian. And so, but my buddies did. And I remember they got into all kinds of sin. Right? They fell into all kinds of trouble. And I remember being very confused by that. Well, Jesus was doing it, right? And so why can't we do it? Well, just because he does it doesn't mean we can't. Right? Peter gets this. You need a command from the Lord. This is how you discern between all the options. Dean's been talking about this. The, the ministry options for this church are, uh, you know, a hundredfold. There's tons of things we could come up with. And just like this, well, we could look in the Bible and see what Jesus is doing, we can look in the world and see where he's present, right? The church down the street has a happen ministry to single moms. Well, that's working, so let's do that. But we have to slow down. We have to stop. We have to realize just because Jesus is doing something doesn't mean we can. And just because he's present somewhere doesn't necessarily mean he wants us there with him. Right? This is what this whole series about experiencing God has been about. What does God want us to do? What is his... What, what is the work he has set aside for us to do? How do we find out? Well, we seek the Lord. Right? We slow down. We don't think that we know. Right? We don't trust our own wisdom. We don't trust our own gifting in the way that we understand it. But we slow down and we listen. What is he saying to you in his word? What is he saying to you in prayer? Is his spirit speaking to your spirit? Is he giving you a command? Or does it just look like something you can do so you're going to run off and do it? Uh, it's, it's fascinating to me here that the, com- the command requires something that's difficult for Peter. Uh, I, this is very instruct- instructive for me because I don't trust a command that doesn't seem difficult, right? If God suddenly puts something on my heart and it seems really easy and it's not going to be too much work, I have a bit of a hard time with that because, as we're going to see here in this, this isn't how God trains his children. God's a very devoted father training all of us. And he does it in a very specific way here. He stretches us. Um, the, the good teachers I had when I was a kid didn't give me work that was really easy to do. They gave me work that was hard to do. They gave me work where I had to trust you know, trust and ask them for help and seek their assistance opposed to just work that was easy for me. Okay, so Peter is teaching us about the, his relationship with Jesus, about anyone's relationship with Jesus. He doesn't just step out of the boat, and he doesn't ask for permission. He asks for a command. He seeks a command from the Lord. Now, I, you guys might be wondering, right? This has been my question through this whole experience in God thing. Well, how do you – so any idea now, any, anything, any inclination I feel like I ought to do, like love my, right, my wife is struggling to get the dishes done and get the laundry done and put the kids to bed – I'm going to go and I'm going to pray in the other room until I get a command. Is that what I'm supposed to do? Right? You could apply it this, that way, and that would be wrong. Because there's some commands, like Dean has pointed this out. This, is a, this portion here is very much review. God has commanded you to do certain things. Right? Love your neighbor. Bear one another's burdens. Let love cover multitude. You go on and on. If you study the scriptures, there are things that are just everyday, hour-to-hour, day-to-day things. This is helpful because walking on water isn't an everyday thing. This is an extraordinary situation and where Peter wants to do something extraordinary. And so he doesn't just get out of the boat and run after it. He waits. He seeks the Lord. Now, the difference here is Peter gets an immediate response, right, because they're standing there looking at each other face to face. That doesn't always happen for us. Sometimes we have to wait. But this is very instructive for us. Okay, sometimes we have to ask God and ask God again and then ask him again and seek him and ask advice from, you know, fellowshipping with believers, seeking him in prayer, seeking him in the word. What is God commanding us to do? And, and, And unless we have a command from him to do something, I would be very, very leery of doing whatever the cool idea we have or ministry idea you have or plan you have, right? If you want to start a business, if you want to change jobs, I don't think I've ever prayed as much as I ever have going from the school to my current position just, just this last year. It, it's a situation that almost taught me how to pray because I really wasn't sure about what to do. That's like walking on water. Right? That's like this, this situation here. It's extraordinary. And so it requires an extraordinary amount of patience, I think, for most of us. Don't just hop out of the boat. Take a lesson from Peter here. Slow down, calm down, and seek the Lord. But the next thing that we need to see is that Jesus commands Peter to do something that appears impossible. Now, I thought about putting that word appears in there or not, because it looks impossible, right? But really, for any of us to go walk on water, it really is impossible. It doesn't just look that way. These things that God asks us to do, commands us to do, are really impossible, Jesus doesn't command Peter to walk on water. He commands him to come. To obey the command, Peter has to then walk on water. But I love it. Peter doesn't hesitate. He just hops out and he starts walking towards the Lord. Peter knows that Jesus provides the necessary ability to obey his commands. All of God's commands involve doing things that are impossible for us. Now, this is really difficult for us. Right? When situations, when, when things are going well, it's really easy to believe that we are capable of doing what we're doing, right? When, when, there's, when the budget is under control, there's tons of money, tithing is easy. Right? When, you're, when your neighbor is lovely, it's easy to love them. When your husband, in those rare occasions, is acting respectable, it's easy to respect him, right? But as soon as you change circumstances a little bit, the things that we're commanded to do are actually really hard. I would go so far as to say impossible. We tend to categorize things this way. Okay, there's the things that God does, like be born again. He commands us to be born again, but that he does that. And then there's things that are possible for us, and then there's things that are impossible that we just avoid altogether. But really what we need to understand is all of God's commands are impossible for us. This is the whole point of the gospel. This is the whole point of the Bible. We are insufficient to do the things that God has commanded us to do on our own. And, and we think because we've been in the Christian faith for a while we think we've been reading our Bibles for a while. We've been doing this, the Christian walk for a while. We get overconfident in ourselves. We believe the hype, right? Uh, as soon as somebody starts telling me that I did something that looked really wise or you know, they start complimenting me about a fruit of the Spirit, I get nervous. And when I don't get nervous, I get in, I'm usually in trouble. right? I, you get confident very easily in yourself. Look at what I did. Look at how hard I prayed for that and it came true. That's amazing. Aren't I amazing? right we we think a lot of ourselves, but all of God's commands are this way inevitably we are all on a boat and obedience requires us to step on the water and hope it holds us up okay this is what I'm talking about this is where God is trying to drive all of us he wants us in a position where we're doing the thing he's asked us to do is hard because if it's easy you don't need faith right this is as soon as things are going easy we easily forget him. When things are hard, right, when it seems like more than we can do, it's very easy to pray. And so God loves to put us in these situations. Okay? That doesn't mean if, if God is blessing you and there is some ease and comfort in your life that somehow you're not being blessed. But for the most part, right, we, we drift towards easy, safe selfishness. He, he tries to pull us into that, the, the situation where we're standing on a boat and he's 12 yards out on port side there beckoning us to come and we're a little uncertain as to what to do is, is that really what he wants me to do that doesn't look possible right how can I tithe when there's more money going out than coming in right how do, how do I faithfully love my wife right? He, right he commands us to love her love our spouse love our wife the way he loves us that's one of my favorite ones because I haven't been in plenty of situations where I hear that and I think sure okay cool love her like he loves me. Awesome. I can do that. But that that's funny, right? Everyone should laugh at that. That's ridiculous. God wants us to be in a place where what what he's asking us to do looks impossible. And I know that we all know a lot about this, right? What do you mean I'm pregnant again? We've we've had that one. And again, again? And again? Some of us have um, adult children at this point who who were raised in the faith and are now no longer in our midst. That looks impossible. Uh, Some of us have spouses that that have problems that are not public. That's that's hard. That looks impossible. But it's not just those extraordinary circumstances. Ask any mom in this room about obeying God's commands and sleep deprivation right? It's the stuff we experience every day. And, and what I've realized studying this is that I, I sit on the edge of my bed now, and, and I just think of all the impossible things that I have to do, the things that for many years I take for granted. Right? You just hop out of bed. Well, hop out of bed. Nobody hops out of bed. You roll out of bed, and you crawl out in the dark, hoping you don't wake your spouse up. And you drink your coffee. You read Facebook for a while, and then you're just off and running. You're off and running with your day, but, but I'm overwhelmed. When, when I think about all of the things I have to do that are absolutely impossible for me, I actually spend a great deal of time in prayer. It's really easy to pick up your Bible and read it in the morning when you are thinking about the fact that you have children that you have to raise in the fear and admission of the Lord. I have to raise my kids with a Christian education. Okay, right? That's easy, isn't it? No I have to love my wife. I have to love my neighbor. I go to, I go to work now uh, for the first time in years with a lot of unbelievers. And you'll be thinking quite a lot about yourself until you have to extend love and grace and kindness to people who aren't lovely and gracious and kind. Uh, it's fascinating how quickly we take our lives for granted. We take our the virtues we have granted. Obeying Jesus comes out of a relationship with Jesus. Okay. It's a dependent relationship. It's one in where we are communicating with him regularly. It's one where we are seeking him regularly. It's one where we know him and love him. It says in John 14, 15, those who love Jesus keep his commandments. It says in 1 John 2 that those who know him keep his commandments. And so if we're struggling to keep his commandments, the problem is the relationship. The problem is how well do we know him? How well do we love him? If we understand our relationship to him, to him, what he's already had to do for us and how unworthy of it we were, that puts us in the right frame of mind for, for every day. Okay? It, it's not that there was this impossible task of atoning for you in the beginning and then taking care of you after that got really easy. right? It's not like you come through the, the, the doors of baptism and life is grand. He's not finished with you yet. He wants to make you like himself. He has a plan so that when people see you, they see Jesus. And you all know how much work that's going to be right? in your own life. And so when we get the relationship right, when we that's what puts us on the right footing here. When we know him and we love him, and the more we know him and the more we love him, the easier it is to obey him because you begin to trust him more. He becomes bigger than your circumstances. He becomes bigger than your environment. He is bigger than whatever situation that you're in, right? And once you get that relationship right, it's easier to obey his commands. But, but before that, you have to understand, okay? He's, he didn't just save you and send you out and that's it. If you look around your life, the things that you are commanded to do, if you read this, this book right here, you learn about all the things you're supposed to do. And it's a lot. It's a big list. I and mean, there's over 500 commands specifically from the mouth of Jesus. And we, and we do ourselves a disservice and, and we're, we're getting nowhere when we think we can do it our, all, all on our own. Now, overestimating ourselves is a big problem. The other problem that people have is they, they just they don't believe it's possible. They don't believe what they're being told to do is possible and so they never get out of the boat. They look at the situation, you're like, okay, God is clearly commanding me to do this, but hello, I, I can't tithe because I can add Jesus. I'm sorry, right? Two plus two never equals five. It doesn't. right? I, I have this issue with my spouse, and we've been fighting about it for four years, and we don't even talk to one another, and it's impossible. right? I, you, you've been working and working and working for years, and the debt isn't going away. These are the situations we're actually in. We all need to have a healthy perspective about our own lives. So many of us run out of the boat without thinking about what we're doing. And so many of us never get out of the boat. We don't know him. We don't love him. We don't believe in him. It's just the church is safe and warm. It's a safe and warm place to go. And and so we don't... don't Think of him as the Lord And we don't obey his commands And we don't feel that it applies to us We're, te- we're, we're scared We're like the apostles when he first walks out there They're terrified right? When God comes near to you And you draw near to him And, and that relationship Matures It puts you in a position Where you're afraid right? You want me to die To myself we're so used to all these phrases as if they're easy Christmas card sort of things. Dying to yourself is not easy. Obeying his commands is not easy. But it's what he's commanded us to do. You can't have just him apart from having him as Lord. Okay? There's no version of Jesus that fits tight, neatly in your pocket. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the Lord of your life. And you don't get the comfort without the difficulty. Okay, I, I think this is one of those truncated things that we do to the gospel that just makes it nonsense. Come, right, all you who are weary, and come with all your pockets filled with the things of the world. Come with your heart filled with your idols. And sit here in the back and listen to this nice, soft sermon. Listen to this easygoing music that doesn't challenge you too much. And just be, be who you are. Jesus loves you just as you are. But that's not, that's not the case. And so some of you need to slow down and not go running after the Lord. Some of you need to wait in the boat and see if he's commanding you. And some of you have a clear command, and you need to get out of the boat. It's time to get out of the boat. And we learn a lot from the apostles about our weakness in the Lord's strength. He says in Mark, uh, well, in Mark ten twenty seven, it says Jesus looked at them and said, "With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God." Second Corinthians twelve nine. But God said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. Boast in your weaknesses. <laughs> I would love it if I could do that, but that <laughs> it seems like walking on water, right? I like to be strong. I like to be in control. I like to be in charge, and I don't like to be weak. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. He appoints you to his service and gives you everything you need to serve him faithfully. The dying is easy. Okay? The coming and the self-sacrifice, coming into the kingdom of heaven, is easy when he's the point. It's impossible when he's not. Like Piper said this, if you could have all the things in heaven, all the things that are promised you in the afterlife, and you could have them apart from Jesus, would you still want them? And that's actually a really difficult question to answer. Don't focus on how impossible the command seems. Don't focus on the circumstances. He gave us the spirit. He strengthens us. He appoints us to his service. And he provides what we need to serve him faithfully. We, if we love him, if we depend on him, if we walk as he walked, humbly submitting ourselves to the Father's will, trusting him, following him, we will all experience what Peter experiences, doing the impossible. He comes to us just as he came to the disciples on the boat. His glory passes before our eyes. And we see it. We've all seen it. We've all tasted of it. And we know that it's good. And like Peter, we want to be there with him. We want to do what he's doing. We're all... In that place, we've been there, and so what we need to do is cry out to Him, Lord, command me, command me. For us, on a macro level, Jesus provides what we need to follow Him even into heaven. Okay, what this whole lesson today is not separate from the, the salvation in general, because on a macro level, you were you couldn't be further from God, and yet He's still God, and He still commands everyone to believe in Him, to trust Him to obey him. And we were all in Adam and we all couldn't have been further from God and Jesus came and says, follow me and took care of everything that you needed in order to follow him. Right? He took care of all the sin, all the degradation, all the wickedness that you ever did. He took care of it so that you could obey his command to follow him. Now, it's no different on an everyday level. This is where we we get, we're sort of manic in our minds. It's all him in the beginning, and it's all us the rest of the way. But no, it's all him in the beginning, and it's him the rest of the way. And we we see this. We see this in what happens to Peter. He gets out of the boat. He doesn't care about the wind. He doesn't care about the sea. He's looking over, and he sees Jesus, and he's focusing on Jesus. And for a time, he's doing the impossible. And as soon as he takes his eyes off the Lord and looks at the the wind, what happens? He wavers. He totters. He begins to sink. And and this is what happens to us. Peter is in the midst of a miracle. But he looks up. He takes his eyes off the Lord and sees the ferocious wind still whipping all around him. Jesus never stopped it. And he falters and he falls. This is like in the midst of the miracle. He's doing the impossible, and his faith falters. We're all works in progress here. I'm I'm dying for that day in which my faith becomes something firm and then unshakable, and it never moves, and I just go on being perfect. I'm dying for that day. And I have to look in the mirror every morning and say, no, that is not happening. (laughs) You're not going to get there. Because I believe, help my disbelief, is the Christian faith. And, what it, and we get frustrated with that. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants to, in their flesh, be a part of that. But that's what's required. God is training Peter for something grand, something much greater than walking on water. But it starts here. It starts with commanding him to do the impossible and allowing him to do it and in addressing the fact that he has so little faith. Because this whole exercise here isn't for Jesus. It's for the disciples in the boat and for Peter. Peter sees how weak his faith is. There's Jesus on the water. He's given him the ability to walk on it, and yet he's scared of the wind. How many times have you been right there in the midst of your faith being validated by God, and then it wavers because of some minor detail, some small lie? Did God really say... This is what happens to us. Now, the point here, the really big point, the thing that we all need to remember is that as he begins to sink, Jesus doesn't say, Well, there you go, you have little faith, and walk off. He doesn't just watch. Peter has learned this much. This is how much he's learned already. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. He immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Peter knew to cry out. Now, this is, again, very helpful to me because I've been doing the impossible. I've been having my faith validated. I struggle, I falter, I fall, and I don't cry out. Because the first thing that comes to my mind is the, well, this is what happens to people who don't really believe. You weren't really with him in, in any way. And, and what I love about the story is that Peter is firm in his faith and when he's standing on the water. And he's firm in who Jesus is when he's faltering. Okay, he has a weak faith, but it doesn't go away. Because I, in an instant for me, I don't know about you, but in an instant for me, if, if, if I sin and if it's grievous enough, the faith goes away and I hide. I don't read. I don't pray. Right? Suddenly Jesus isn't mentioned around our house for days. My wife used, usually clued into that. And that's what we want to do. We want to hide under the bed. But I love the story because Peter is there and his faith is tested. And even as he's falling, he cries out. And this is what we all need to remember. When we're standing and when we're falling, our faith needs to be in Jesus Christ to allow us to do the impossible and to help us when we fall. Because Jesus doesn't abandon him. He doesn't run off. Peter was no sooner seized with fear, Calvin says, than he began to sink. And so the fleeting and transitory thoughts of the flesh immediately cause us to sink in the midst of our course of employments. So it happens to all of us. The wind is scary. Tithing when you have no money is scary. One person providing the daily meals, education, and physical care of two, three, four, five children is scary. Illness is scary. The political situation in this country is scary. Disciplining children is scary. Leading your wife in prayer and Bible reading is a scary thing. Working every day for meager meager pay with no end of the debt in sight is scary. It's like walking on water in the middle of a windstorm. And we all go out there and we all try our very best on our own and then we fail and then we hide. But what Peter does is he wants to be where Jesus is. He wants to do what Jesus is doing and he cries out for a command and when he's given the command, he believes it and when he fails, he still believes in Jesus. And that's what I want you guys to go away from, from here today, thinking about this, praying about this. Because what I see in my own life is this manic, I'm all for it, I'm all, I'm just going to ignore it. I, I, I can't, it's so hard to go steadily right down the middle of the road. We're all going to fail big. This isn't even the most, this isn't even the biggest that Peter fails. He goes on and fails even bigger than this later on when he denies Jesus three times. But who is the first person to preach on Pentecost? Who leads the movement when Jesus is gone? Who, does, who makes walking on water look like child's play? And what we see is that Peter starts here and he gets there because Jesus is with him all along. Jesus never abandons Peter. And what I love is that Peter, even when he abandons him, comes running back. Right? Who's the one that ran faster than the other apostles down to the empty tomb? Studying Peter has been very good for my faith, which is funny because I remember remember laughing at him more than any of the others when I was first a Christian. Look at these idiots that Jesus would get to follow him. This guy's a moron. And now I, I would give anything to be like Peter. One commentator wrote this, Peter's failure comes as he observes the wind looking into his situation rather than to God's power that is sustaining him. Still, Peter knows by this point whom to cry out to. His feeble attempt to walk on water is no more feeble than our first attempts to walk on land. Our faith may be more infantile than Peter's if we have never even tried to step out in obedience to Jesus' commands or direction for our lives. Many of us have less practice walking in faith than two year olds have walking physically. It is important to know that while Jesus is disappointed with Peter's inadequate faith, he does in fact rebuke him. Peter has acted in greater faith than the other disciples. He is learning. Faith cannot be worked up by formulas or by emotion, but it grows through various tests as we continue to trust our Lord and he continues to teach us. It's in a relationship. That our faith grows. I have. There's no devotional in the world I can give you that grows your faith. There's no magic formula of uh, anointing and a certain prayer and some beads you can pray over. There's no formula. Everything fades away except for this: the relationship with Jesus Christ. Enter into that, and your faith will grow. Hold firm to that, and your faith will grow. Look to him and keep your eyes on him. Don't look at the wind. Don't look at the water. Don't look at how impossible what he's asking you to do seems to be. Don't look at that. Look at him. And when you're falling and when you're struggling because you're sinking in the water, look at him. The point is him. And over a long period of time, as Peter walks with the Lord, he becomes like the Lord. He becomes like the Lord. Remember the C.S. Lewis quote from the call this morning. The great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to him, at whatever cost to us. He's a father who loves us. This is not a gotcha moment. He doesn't put Peter on the water, let him fail, and then say, you dope he gives him a firm rebuke like a father should and saves him. Right? And Peter goes on. He denies Jesus three times. In the end, what does Jesus do? Like a loving father. He instructs him. He teaches him. He brings him back. And Peter goes on to do great things. Peter goes on to be one of the greatest saints to have ever lived because he's like his Lord. Now, all of you are at very different places in your Christian life And and this is what I want you to remember: He is your Lord. Jesus is the point. He's not a guru you get some advice from. He is your King who gives you a command, and He's your Father who instructs you. He's He's He goes along with you, and He tells you to do things that only a relationship with Him can allow you to do—the impossible. And when you fail, he doesn't abandon you. He's right there with you. And it's only in a relationship to him do we grow in our faith. There's no magic formula. It's him. Speak to him. Read his word. Fellowship with his saints. Po- meditate and ponder on this story and all the others, and where he is great. Embrace your weakness. Brag about it. To him. Because it's in that weakness, it's in you, on your knees, admitting you can't, where he comes flooding in and does. Remember that. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the story with Peter and you on the water. And we pray, Lord, that as we go about the, our lives and we see lakes and we see rivers, we see a glass of water, that we remember this story that you are so great that you are the Lord of all things that you could make Peter walk on water. Help us remember, Father, that you are the point, that our relationship with you that is strong, that is trusting, that is weak and that is not trusting, that no matter what, you are there in the midst of it to meet all of us, to teach all of us who you are and what you are willing to do for us. We thank you for Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you give us a deep and abiding love for him and a desire for him and an unshakable faith in him that even if we fall and even as we fail, that we cry out to him for he will hear us and he will save us, we know. Amen.